Hello there, my very good friends. Welcome to Pitch the Podium and the Inside Line F1 podcast. And on this episode, on the French Grand Prix review, here's what we have in store. And this is going to be an action-packed one, much like the race. So, today we discuss, did Red Bull Racing win this race or did Mercedes lose it? Then, we have the stats review by Sundaram coming up. Then, we discuss how Red Bull and Max actually snatched away the win from Mercedes systematically. After that, we go to speaking more about problems in the Mercedes camp and finally, Valtteri Bottas blowing up on the team and what Toto Wolff has to say about that. And at last, we discuss all the madness in the midfield. And trust me, today there was quite a bit of that. So, let's begin. Let's get down deep into the episode for this episode of the Friend GP Review on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium. Let's go. Hi there, folks. Welcome back. My name is Soman Arora. I am joined by Kunal Shah, the ex-marketing head of the Force India Formula 1 team. And first up, Kunal, this French GP was not a blockbuster. This French GP was not Baku by any which, way, any which way whatsoever. This was not a Hockey 9 2019 either. This was, I think, more of a critics acclaimed film. I think if you want to put it that way. It's not this multi-million dollar blockbuster film that all the other people from around the world who don't even know who the actors are might come to watch in. I think it's more, more of an Oscar winner, this one, isn't it? it absolutely was samil and it's like it's 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 raised the bar for all the french grand prix to follow for the next century given that the first french grand prix was over a century ago i think it was a phenomenal race and i'll put it this way that you know if one was to say guys there were 20 drivers participating and all 20 finished the race suddenly we'll be like okay was that really a boring race because you know that that no safety car came out no retirements and so on and then to further add to it i don't even recollect a single yellow flag session during the race as well so you know when you when you put together all these pieces and when you consider the fact that they were racing at circuit paul ricard i think it was a phenomenal race and i'll put it this way i watched formula e i know you're the in-house formula e expert and you know there was a point of time when cars were overtaking left right and center something mm-hmm. you know we we normally don't see at paul ricard and i was just like is this formula e like <laughs> i lost track after a point after a point i just said you know what i told i told i told the studio team that's it put it under random overtakes i kid you not <laughs> Actually I've got a problem with that. I I know we're trying to be more on a positive note today because everything was but I think it takes away the value from each overtake when there's just simple bland boring DRS overtakes when you can't fight back and literally I don't think any driver apart from Pierre Gasly was actually able to block off an overtake today which is a bit of a shame to be honest but that aside that that's just one of the negatives out there. So many major positives from today's race. We shall get to all of that. We shall get to discussing all the topics we mentioned in the contents part of this video and the podcast a few minutes ago. But the manscaped lawnmower moment of the race weekend, Kunal, who gets it for you? It has to be Max Verstappen. You know, I was shocked much as every single viewer was. I'm sure people literally got off their seats when like is that really max verstappen who's gone off turn 1 and that to me was the lawnmower moment for for more than one reason somel first is of course max lewis title battle max on pole you know lewis's best shot was you know probably turned 1 at the start max got a great start so that's that's the usual sporting side of it but the question i ask somel is 
had Max Verstappen not made that mistake, had he not clinched the manscaped lawnmower moment at that time, okay, would we still have had an interesting French Grand Prix? Would it have been that he would have led at the front, he would have kept his pace, he would have kept the two-second gap to the Mercedes cars, and maybe, just maybe, we could have gone back to having a boring race. Who knows? I think that's a very good point, you know. I think that just genuinely added something extra special to it. But fair play to Hamilton Mercedes as well. They kept it together for quite a long while. More on that in a second. And by this stage, you know exactly what we're going to be talking about. So on your screen right now, if you're watching the video, is all the good work that we do with Manscaped. And yes, you can use the code TRIMINSIDE at checkout to get 20% off on all their products and free shipping wherever you are. Sadly, apart from India, but they'll be getting there. That's Manscaped supporting our video and the podcast today. It's it's great to see them coming on here. And it was great to see all the battles that happened. So, without wasting any time, let's actually get into our very first topic, which is, did Red Bull Racing win this race or did Mercedes lose it? Your thoughts, Kunal? We already know the, the background to this. Verstappen, of course, having his incident right there. But the first thing that comes to mind, let's take it incident by incident. Red Bull Racing undercutting Mercedes. Why? What was that all about? I think, I, I thought that the teams would know better in terms of analysing their data, but also Ferrari got it very wrong either uh, as well. I mean, they were just were not caught up in everything. They eventually got lapped big time by their major rivals too. So was it Mercedes? I don't know. Uh, this may sound a bit sensational, but I don't really intend it to be. Did they sort of get a bit too complacent in a way? Well, you know, uh, firstly, we were expecting rain. And I know the Formula 3 race had a lot of rain. It was a wet race, literally, right? And for the Formula 1 Grand Prix, by the time it was, you know, time for the five red lights to go out for us, the rain had stopped. But what happened is the rain did us two very good things. First is it, it rained out the track, which sort of, you know, greened it up again, as we call it, right? And then it lowered the temperatures. And these two factors literally helped give us the unpredictable race and the unpredictable tire uh, you know, usage that was there because all along, Pirelli themselves thought it's going to be a one-stopper, right? And then suddenly you see Mercedes drivers are screaming post-race saying, we told the team it's going to be a two-stopper. And you know, at this stage, I think Mercedes yet again, and they've, they've shown this in the past, right? They let... Uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all the cool buzzwords in, in the in the field of technology, data analytics and and uh, big data and all those words, they let that overrule driver gut, right? Uh, so maybe Mercedes could have probably, you know, planned to have a two-stopper race or uh, before beforehand, uh, like they, for example, did in Spain, right? So it's easy to say that Mercedes probably lost it, but the truth be told, Red Bull had their measure all through the Grand Prix weekend, Sommel. Max's pole position, again, he was three times ahead of Lewis Hamilton, which is phenomenal, you know, given how closely matched they are. And I would say that Red Bull and Max lost it at the first corner, right? But Max brought it together at the undercut and then finally pulling together the two-stop strategy. And I know it's now become more, but... It's, it was so crucial what Red Bull did today in terms of the undercut and then the second stop Sommel. And in all of this, they will not forget Chaco Perez's contribution. He was there as mm. the perfect wingman, 
for Max, and he took points away from Mercedes by overtaking Valtteri Bottas for the podium spot. Did that job quite well, Sergio Perez, eventually. And I was initially thinking that in the first stint, his pace was not very good. I was thinking that, well, shouldn't he be gunning for more? But I think it's the unpredictability of the conditions that really brought him back into the picture, eventually helping him get P number three. But that was very, very interesting. So let's speak about the topic we just touched upon over here. Why and how Red Bull Racing and Max snatched the win away from Mercedes in this particular case. Now, this is this is a bit of a curious one, this particular case. Now, it wasn't supposed to be a two-stopper. It always seemed like a one-stopper all the way through, Kunal. But Red Bull, they took the chance. I think it is just a case of them realizing that, hey, it's been far too many times that Mercedes has got the edge on us on situations like this one. Might as well just try something out, out of the box and see which way it goes. But what they did was something that many say that in hindsight Mercedes should have done. Split up the strategies. But Mercedes declined doing that. And we all saw Bottas exploding. More on that in a few minutes' time. But this really was absurd. It was. And, you know, uh, I think I think overall uh, Mercedes uh, were, were checkmated, if I may put it that way. Like they checkmated Red Bull and Max Verstappen at Spain. So... Uh, you know, the the undercut was extremely, extremely powerful. We saw, you know, Charles Leclerc, I think he he undercut like two or three drivers. He was hmm. Pierre Gasly uh, and even Daniel Ricciardo, you know, when he when he went into the pits uh, the first time around and he was one of the first ones to pit, right? So the undercut was extremely powerful. That's because the, the new tire advantage was what helped Max uh, go faster than uh, Lewis Hamilton, you know, in the first round of pit stop. So that that was one. And and then the second thing, one of the reasons why Mercedes couldn't really stop was what I said before, that, you know, Checo Perez was actually perfectly poised to, uh, you know, to, to take track position away from both the Mercedes drivers had they pitted the second time. So it was, it was fantastic placement. It was like mm. a dream placement, I would say, for Red Bull, you know. Max being able to do what he was doing and to have a wingman to help Max in uh, race strategy and the team, you know, with with taking points away from Mercedes. So Mercedes must be scratching, saying, "Okay, that's it. We didn't have a quick car and that's why we got played. Checkmate, literally, is the way I'd like to put it. In terms of pace as well, when we look at everything, right, Hamilton on that final stint... Super. I, I still don't know how he kept on holding P1 for the time that he did. That was some stunning driving, but not enough in the context of the entire race. Eventually, Red Bull Racing getting the edge over them. But this made me wonder a little bit about this particular point, Canal. Mercedes, I think for the entire existence, uh, what, since 2010 to 2013, yeah, they were in competition. But since 2014, more or less, so most of their existence, they never have had any direct 1v1 competition from an external team. Is them is this just a case of them not being, I don't know, sharp enough in a case like that? Because they've never ever been challenged externally. It's only been internal. They've only had to discuss things like changing mechanics and changing chassis and whatnot in the case of this particular race weekend. But are we seeing that happen? Are we seeing Mercedes finally tested and so seeing the chinks in their armor at last? You know... Uh- Maybe that's the case, and you know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of listeners here and viewers here would be turning and saying, "But hey, Mercedes was challenged by Ferrari back in 2017, 2018, and yes, that's correct. But truth be told, 
uh, Red Bull operates at a different strategic excellence when it comes to race stops and strategy mm-hmm. than Ferrari Ferrari does. And we all know how Ferrari's plan C almost never worked, right? But in the case of Red Bull, they are, they are really, really prompt. And yes, I think Mercedes would know by now or would have known literally at the start of the season that they need to up their game when it comes to the pit stops. Because in Monaco and in Baku, Lewis Hamilton was overcut. In uh, in France, he was undercut. So literally, they must be first saying, can we just have a pit stop where we maintain position before we actually gain position on arrival, you know? <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be wanting to sharpen their tools and, and their, uh, you know, pit stop acumen. But again, you know, it's, the margins are so fine. It's mm. got, it's got very little to do with ability. It's just about what you're able to play and what hands, uh, what cards you hold at that moment, Sonal. It's just those split-second decisions, right? This is this is why this one, I think that the reason why I said at the start this would be a critic's choice race winner, that sort of stuff, and not the biggest blockbuster, is because of battles like this. Clean, fair battles. No shenanigans at all. Just, just purely on how you perform on that very day as an entire unit. Mercedes said it was their fault. They told both the drivers it was our bad. They eventually conceded defeat, which is a good thing for them to see. But more on why... They could have bigger problems in a second. But here's for something positive right now. Here's for something more fun. It is actually time for a mid-race break where we do our stats review by Sundaram. It's the first time that we've got it right here. So let's check it out. Here's the stats review by Sundaram coming up right now. Thank you, Samuel. Well, we saw Mark Marquez winning at his favorite track in MotoGP, the Zaxxon Ring. Well, Mercedes could have also won at their favorite track, Circuit Paul Ricard, had the race been two laps shorter. Well, Max Verstappen went on to take the lead of the race in the dying stages of the race, and that was that. Well, apart from the fact that we got an exciting French Grand Prix, which is pretty surprising in itself, and we also got to see Valtteri Bottas venting his frustration at his team, one of the things that caught my eye was George Russell taking P12 in a race that saw no retirements. In a Williams, I mean, uh, he finished P12 ahead of an Alpine and a Ferrari car as well, so that is pretty commendable, I would say. Now going straight into the stats, it was a day filled with hat-tricks. Max Verstappen taking his first hat-trick in Formula 1, a pole position, a race victory, and the fastest lap to add to that, and Red Bull taking a hat-trick of wins for the first time since 2013. Now, their, their engine supplier, Honda, took their first hat-trick of wins since 1991, 30 years ago. Uh, a very, very good race for them, and I'm sure they'll be rejoicing later today. Now, like I mentioned earlier, this was a race that saw no retirements, and that just happened for the 10th time in Formula 1, a race without any DNFs at all. Uh, but the last time that happened was the 2019 Austrian Grand Prix. The reason I mentioned that is that is another race where Max Verstappen took the lead in the final stages uh, of the race. That time it was Charles Leclerc he overtook, and he eventually went on to win that race as well. Now, talking about his teammate, Sergio Perez, I mentioned in the previous video that he had never scored points in France. And finally, what a way to do it. He, he's taken that with uh, back-to-back podiums the first time he's done that in his career as well. Now, we have to talk about Ferrari. They had a terrible race. They are the most successful constructor at the French Grand Prix. 17 pole positions, 17 race victories. And they went and they're going home today without scoring any points. Uh, the first time that's happened at the French Grand Prix since 1996, 25 years ago. 
Now, for the last stat of today, I would love to talk about Lando Norris's incredible form, but I will talk about Max Verstappen. Now, he's taken 13 race victories in Formula One, and of the 24 drivers uh, who have taken 13 victories or more, just two of them have failed to be world champions. That was uh, David Coulthard and Sterling Moss. So definitely, Max Verstappen is on the path uh, to greatness and. Yeah, I think there is a very good chance that he will eventually be a champion a champion sooner or later. So those were some of the stats from this race, more of a mini stats review. If you want to know the full, all the stats and facts from the race, then keep an eye for our stats rundown article, which is going to go up on the website very soon. Well, thank you, folks. I'll see you guys in the next one. I just love this man and his work. Some amazing stats from Sundaram as always is literally not come up with one bad stats preview or review ever because it's that's just the quality of all the work that he does eventually follow him on the social media platforms down below check out his stats review and preview articles down below on the pitch to podium website as well and this brings about another fun question i know it's something that we end up doing quite often here on the inside line f1 podcast and pitch to podium but your favorite stat out of this one, Kunal? I think for me, it has to be that this is Verstappen's first ever triple. Uh, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Yeah, I, I think I'll go with the word triple as well. And I think mm. this was the first hat-trick of wins for Honda since 1991. Uh, and, yeah. you know, they have really... They, firstly, they're leaving at the end of the season. So they're going to literally seem like they're going to leave on a high if, if this goes the way we mm. think it will. And second, we know what they have gone through, what they have, you know, faced to be where they are right now with the whole nightmarish start with McLaren. That is so, so true. It's so good to see Honda finally come up with this. And as Sundaram also mentioned, Max, not Max, Mark Marquez eventually getting the big W at Saxon <laughs> Ring. And it's after this big return that he's had with the big injury after a year coming back, getting his first win. It deserves a podcast on its own. Sadly, we don't do MotoGP. Sadly, I don't follow it as much as yet. Formula One. But this is some... <laughs> yet, that's a good point. We don't do MotoGP yet. But Mark Marquez, what a story. That's beyond the point, though. What is on the point is troubles at the Mercedes camp. So... Let's discuss what's happening right here. Are we seeing Valtteri Bottas version 77.77777, whatever you might like to call it. There's been many of them. But today, Kunal, I think he had a reason to be frustrated. It was very much justified because Mercedes could have split the strategies up. They could have gone for, I think, what I would call as the most sane move in hindsight. Again, it's hindsight, I know. But still, why did they not do it? That that was a bit amusing to me. I, I know... They eventually got checkmated, but that's because they waited it out. Had they done it immediately, there could have been a chance that Bottas could have been a bit higher. Well, you know, yes, Bottas could have been a bit higher. Bottas could have been on the podium. Uh, but let's remember two things. First, this is Mercedes, right? They rarely split strategies between drivers. First things first, mm -hmm. right? But that said, Samuel, you know, Mercedes probably know deep down inside it is Hamilton versus Verstappen. And they knew that maybe keeping Bottas out and, you know, having Lewis have a rear gunner, you know, delaying him by a few laps if, if Bottas could have done that. Because, again, the margins were so small that, you know, in Mercedes's press release and what Sundaram said that had the race been two laps shorter, mm -hmm. okay, 
Mercedes would have probably won. And, you know, then then Bottas holding uh, Max Verstappen would have suddenly been like that was perfect strategy, right? And, mm-hmm. of course, Bottas didn't do the best job of, you know, holding Max at all, uh, you know, given how short his tyres were. But I think that was probably the reason they realised that if they can use Bottas in, in, the, in the longer game of the title battle, why not? And there's nothing wrong in that. I think you and I would have probably done the same thing. Yeah, didn't quite work out well today, though. Uh, I mean, again, some days you just work; it works out in your favor. Some days it doesn't. You have to focus on the performance. That's what Mercedes tried, uh, going the more diplomatic route this time out and trying not to split the strategies. But I think, in hindsight, it doesn't turn out to be the smartest option. I know it's hindsight again, but Mercedes will be even more rigorous in their debrief than we are right here. So that's going to be interesting to see what they come up with in Austria. But on the more lighter side of things, Kunal, at least lighter for us, Valtteri Bottas has burst up open. He came up on the radio and came up with probably his most explosive message since Australia in 2019. He said, I told you guys, I'm paraphrasing right here, if I say uh, the exact word, I think YouTube might put a strike on us. Uh, I told you guys to go with the two-stopper, you never listened to me. Or something very similar. I can't say the exact term, of course, that's, that's a bit of a given. So... Uh, we mentioned that at the start. We mentioned that Mercedes choosing to trust data and devices over the driver's gut. But uh, do you like to see this version of Bottas Canal? Do you like to see this sort of fire and aggression in him? And, and I know it's not translated into performances yet, but maybe for many, many uh, mega sportsmen, this is the kind of motivation they need to go one up. And we know how good Bottas can be when he's at his prime. You know. I love this side of any driver. And, you know, it's even better when somebody like a Valtteri Bottas, who usually is flatlined, you know, when it comes to expressions, unless he's got a cup of coffee with him, which is pretty much all the time, you know, given I think Finns are are the highest per capita consumers of coffee in the world. So Valtteri lives up to that at some point. But but yeah, I mean, I I love this side of Valtteri and I liked what Toto Wolff said. Finally, you know, Valtteri Mm. speaks up and he's he's letting his frustration out and understandably because, you know, in a season like this where he's still yet to climb up to P3 in the in the rankings, he needs all the points and podium finishes he can get. That is so, so true for Valtteri Bottas. There's that in the top three. Uh, goodness me, we've actually spent 23 minutes speaking about the top three. That is how good of a race that was, right? That is the beauty of this year's French GP. But now, let's come up to something else. Let's come up to the midfield. And so, let's speak about the midfield on the whole. So, how did the papaya power eventually get the edge over the prancing horses that ran out of breath? So, let's discuss that. What happened right there, Gnal? was something amazing. I think if you put Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris in a tag team in the world of pro wrestling, I think they'll just win every single belt in a matter of weeks. <laughs> because Ricciardo, now that he has some sort of good track time, he was flying. And Norris came along with him too. Eventually, Norris, of course, being on the different strategy, got, got a better result than Daniel. But what it really felt like to me is that because the FIA kind of cut down preseason testing, they just put Paul Ricard early on so that some drivers that may not be used to the car can just get some good dull testing time when we're at it. Considering <laughs> that Paul Ricard is such a good testing circuit. But it was far more than that. But And McLaren, sure, they were not good in qualifying. But the race pace is certainly very much real here. And that's what Zach Brown said pre-race. He said, you know, the Ferraris had the measure of us in qualifying, but the cooler temperatures 
and the better race pace would help us. And that's what happened. And I, I must say, you know, we, we all joked about the whole Perez said it'll take me five races to settle in Red Bull. <laughs> and then he went and won the sixth race. Daniel Ricciardo actually said he's looking forward to the triple header. So he gets more time in his car. And he finally said, you know, he felt like he he felt like he's at home with the McLaren car, which is mm. key. And this is despite him finishing behind Lando Norris. You know, he was pretty racy all through through the weekend. And uh, by the way, I, I speaking about Papaya Power, I think we missed this on the world feed and maybe it's going to come out. But I think both the, uh, both the McLaren drivers did a mid-race swap. And Lando Norris was, got, you know, they. I think Ricardo let Lando Norris go ahead, and that's mm. how they finished in the positions that that they did. But fantastic! I think even when it comes to Norris, he actually lost two positions on the opening lap, and then he made, uh, you know, he made his tire strategy work. He actually, and I've written it down. He went twenty nine laps on the medium tire, which was higher, longest than any driver. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he used, again, the new tire advantage to good effect. He was, you know, there was a point when it was like McLarens were the only cars on track overtaking, right? And we yeah. actually made a McLaren overtaking package because they were just driving around everyone else. There was a Ferraris, there was Pierre Gasly, there was even the Aston Martins at one point. And it, it was just so good to see them do what they're doing. And Lando Norris continues to be the only driver to have scored a score points in every single race this season and that is phenomenal consistency i think the people on twitter would call him a top lad so that's what i'm going to do right here and <laughs> two particular highlights from that mclaren tag team match that they had in the middle and i can we i think we can introduce this sort of chef's kiss segment there where we pick out at least one thing that makes us want to give on the chef's kiss something like this you know it was firstly Daniel Ricciardo's amazing move on Fernando Alonso, the way he just swerved up so late to get to the inside line at the Mistral straight chicane. Outstanding stuff. Secondly, Pierre Gasly blocking off the door at Lando Norris at the senior corner where they're literally going at 290 kilometers per hour, just shutting the door off and telling, no Lando, I will not let you get this position Chef's kiss. That's the kind of racing we all love and want to watch. Eventually, the McLarens got the edge in both of them, but that was superb. But now here's something special for our watcher, Celsia, who always comes up. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Who's also watching this live stream, who always comes up and asks some amazing questions. And he's asking us today, well, what happened to Ferrari? Did they, they were pretty good in qualifying and suddenly lost everything. I think we do have an answer for this, don't we, Kunal? And, and it's very, very interesting what happened to Ferrari all weekend. This just seemingly was not their track. It's it's not low speed. It's not where the turn in of the car matters as much. And eventually, it was evident. It was. And, you know, both the Ferrari drivers actually said post-race that we just suffered from extreme tyre degradation. And that's mm. what happened. We saw Charles Leclerc at one point was just going backwards. And, you know, to make, <laughs> his, uh, to make his strategy work, the team said, could you do five laps more on these tyres? And I'm sure those were the longest five laps out of the 53 laps for Charles. And that's what happened to Ferrari. And I must say, we should, we should take a second to appreciate what Carlos Sainz Jr. is able to do in that Ferrari sawmill. You know, he doesn't seem like it's just a seventh race at Ferrari. He out-qualified Charles in qualifying. And then he actually finished ahead of him. He was racing ahead of, uh, you know, Charles throughout the race and finished ahead as well. Now, unfortunately, n neither Ferrari driver scored points. But that's, 
you know, that's just because of the degradation that they went backwards while their rivals actually went forward. Indeed, yeah. Uh, that was something very fun to say. Guys, my apologies uh, if the video might have slightly gone out right there. Something uh, really insane has happened with the software that we're using. So don't you worry. I think you might be having to see only my screen, my face for now. But that, I hope that's totally all right. I hope I'm not looking too bad today. But that was Ferrari. That was how they ended up losing everything today. But for Aston Martin as well, I think things were very, very interesting, Kunal. I think it's like very amazing to see that they know what their role is. They know where they slot into the pace. So they always end up going for an alternate strategy. And this time it worked out quite well for them. Double points this weekend. Yes, you know, alternate strategy again, I would say. And, you know, uh, Lance, of course, was forced onto that because of being eliminated in Q1 and then... Fettel was eliminated in Q2 and I think they both did fantastically well to make that strategy work. And it's it's great to see Vettel, you know, do the th kind of things that we always know of him to be doing. And, you know, slowly and steadily, they are sort of getting back into uh, getting back into the position that they'd, they'd like to be, which is fighting, uh, you know, in, in the midfield. And they were up there fighting, you know, with the Alpines uh, of the world. And it's, it's good to see it's good to see Vettel and Aston Martin get up there somewhere. Quite a fun sight, this one. Amazing weekend on the whole, right? I think it just goes to show that, sure, you can put them at Paul Ricard, you can put them at Las Vegas Motor Racing Circuit, or, or basically Caesars Palace, that is. You can put them at Dallas as well, which I think was equally as bad as the street circuit as well. As as uh, as Caesars Palace, it's, I, I wouldn't call it a street circuit, but you get the idea. Equally as bad as a makeshift racing circuit, for sure. Paul Ricard is not a makeshift, but... Even though we may criticize the track, what we need to get a good race is context, not the best racing circuit in the world. These are the best drivers in the world. These are the best teams in the world. Sure, these are, I think, the fastest racing cars in the world as well. You just add some sporting context into it and you make them race wherever. The racing will be outstanding. And that is what Paul Ricard did eventually show to us this weekend. Outstanding stuff. And this was amazing to watch all the way through. But folks, more of this coming up, right? It's a triple header. We go to Austria for the Styrian Grand Prix first. So watch us right there for the preview on Thursday. More of that coming up soon. And finally, Kunal, your take on the entire weekend and what we can expect in Austria coming up. I think it's it's great. You know, if, if a circuit like Paul Ricard is able to deliver such a belter, it just speaks volumes for how closely fought the 2021 Formula 1 season is, Samuel. So there is... Mercedes and Red Bull at the front, then Ferrari and, you know, McLaren in, after that, and then everyone else and so on. And, uh, you know, it, it was it's it's just a fact that uh, if this sort of uh, level of competitiveness stays through the season, and it is, you know, definitely a long season ahead for us, I think Austria, both the races are going to be complete crackers of a race. So the best way to sort of get into a triple header because usually it's the you know the middle race or the last race of a triple mm. header where you lose a lot of energy because you know clearly just how much work that goes in right but it's gonna just be that much more fun when it comes to austria samuel i certainly hope so one last comment that i have to highlight before we go and it is one from side the fief that can lead us very well into austria aston martin knows something about the pirelli tires which nobody knows They've been overcutting their way out of at least three and four cars since the last three races. And Achilles Kumar has come up and said that Aston's strategy, start with hards, go really long, finishing points, done. 
I wonder if they'll be able to do that in Austria. That's the point that we're going to end this episode on. Let's all wonder. Let's all think. But I can actually, I can actually, for sure, I can actually answer. I can actually answer that. It's firstly, it's a, it's a great uh, uh, observation, and secondly, mm. they actually have, uh, you know, a tire guru, and this is this is a story that is is been known since a while. His name is. uh he's a, he's a jan matsuzaki that's his name right and he is actually one of the senior engineers who's you know who's been with the team right and he he was prior to this one of the engineers with bridgestone motorsport and that's probably where they uh you know that that's probably where they are sort of falling in line with their tire utilization if I, if i if i know my if if i remember correctly and is some story right there and i'm so sorry that you could not see kunal's camera right there as he narrated that if if you're watching this on the video version just a software issue on my end hands up my fault uh, but that is quite something right aston martin are just utilizing it to perfection and i wonder what happens in austria because that race is more of a more of a chaotic one that we usually end up seeing so i i wonder which way things are going to go but folks See you there. I think we're going to have our next episode either on Thursday or Friday. We're trying something up, something special. We're trying to put our new episodes out on every Thursday for previous previews. So check out Pitch the Podium and the Inside Line F1 podcast right there. And I need not tell you anymore. Use the code Trim Inside at checkout for all of Manscaped's products and get twenty percent discount plus free shipping right there. So that's it from us for today. See you, folks, next Thursday. Bye bye. Thank you, Samuel, and see you guys. Bye bye.